0: To FC, A team with a new direction after an off-season makeover, it's an all-Canadian effect. Mapp working against Morgan.
1: Puts it across the ball! Yes! Marco De Ville. That's what we expected from him! Make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometimes and I want spend some time with you just a-
0: Welcome to the Two Solitudes podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto, Canada. Kevin Laramie, as always, joins me from Montreal. Kevin, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. It's a shame I can't come to Toronto every week and enjoy the, that city that changed so much. It had like a Chicago vibe. That's why when, when I came back to Montreal, Dwayne, the last couple of days, that's how I felt about Toronto. It's not Toronto anymore. It's like Chicago with a little less crime.
0: Yeah, well, we passed uh, Chicago in ter- terms of uh, attendance, or, or attendance, a population. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's yeah.
0: hilarious. Tell what I do nine times a day. In terms of population, last year it's very similar cities. I think. Yeah, you're right. There's a there's a vibe. They're kind of um, kind of got the same. They're they're not quite New York level, but they're that
1: in between level cities that are a little bit bigger than most, but not as big as all. And, and on anyway, the up and up, we have to say uh, that city changed and for the better in the last four years. And unfortunately, that's Rob Ford's doing, which is hard to say. Well,
0: <laughs> Mr. Ford is no longer the mayor of Toronto, and we still have a non-functioning subway system in this, uh, this city, for transit system. I should be careful when I say subways because sure. he was always famous with his subway, subway, subways line. But we're not having a T.O. Polly uh, podcast here, Kevin, so we'll move on. Um, <laughs> We're going to talk about the red draft today. It's kind of like the red wedding, the re-entry draft, the mm-hmm. red, get it, huh? um, We're going to talk about the second phase of that and uh, the results of the first phase, which actually Montreal and uh, Toronto both selected a player, so we'll we'll review that. Uh, we'll talk about Garth Lagerwey. Uh He apparently is going to Seattle, so not Toronto. I'll uh, share some insight into what I think I know about that anyway and uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing for TFC. In our middle segment, we're going to talk a little bit about TV numbers, Uh the TV numbers for the MLS Cup in Canada were dreadful. Uh, <laughs> at least I assume they were. They're were. I. they not even in the top 25 of the, of the listed programs. so I can't give you a figure. So that tells me uh, that they were pretty bad. And uh, we'll talk about some overall TV uh, trends in Canada and, and TSN and the whole five-channel thing and all that sort of stuff and why it frustrates people and, and whether we can improve our stuff there. Ottawa Fury are in the uh, PLSQ. That's a good news there. We'll, <laughs> we'll touch on that. And in our final segment, we're going to just sort of set up the CBA talks over the next little bit. That's going to be a major issue of uh, talking points for the next little while. So we're going to talk a bit about that in our final segment, just to set y'all up. Mm -hmm. And as I said in the uh, previous segment, it is the red wedding time here for MLS, uh, for uh, the, the, the D-Row and uh, Ferrari, and a whole bunch of other people. Well, will they be killed? No, it's not about death, Kevin. No one's going to die at this uh, this draft, the RED, the reentry entry draft, uh, but we are going to talk about it. Now, let's start with D-Row and Ferrari, the two uh, wow. guys there that are older and uh, were on Canadian teams that are on that list and could be selected. Do
1: you anticipate that Ferrari will get selected by anyone, Kevin? I didn't up until this morning, and speaking to you, Alfred, that might have changed. Uh, I was not expecting Ferrari to be taken by anybody, because that's for me. I might have saw him play too closely in the last couple of months. And for me, he doesn't have the level required, or maybe the, the, the motivation required to perform well in MLS, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, well, and as I, I've referred to him many times over the past season, the Pinto, uh, I have heard a rumor today that he, uh, he may be on TS or TSN's, TFC's radar. Which well,
1: I thought TSN would have made more sense, to be honest. Yeah, RDS or TSN
0: or something, yeah, that he might be doing a bit of commentary. On Rye? Right. Yeah, that'd be okay. Uh, look... Well, I heard from a rumor, and this is the second time I've heard that TFCA has, has been looking at Ferrari as a possible person back there. And it, it does sort of beggar's belief in a lot of ways, because he certainly, as any of us who have observed this league, think that he's lost his step. And, and certainly the way he exited Montreal might make people question his uh, character. But Look for the selfie pressie. The selfie pressie, yeah. Uh, however, look you know rumors are rumors and i've heard this from one source and i bring it up only because you know it's possible uh this, they do need a defender they need more def- defensive depth there is no doubt about that um i think there's probably better options in the draft uh, hell they could bring uh, bring nana out back <sighs> if they wanted he's an he's an option there and a young domestic kid that started in tfc's prospect i think most people at least would have a feel-good story with that kevin mm-hmm. uh but uh you know we'll see uh, whether that rumor has any legs uh let's talk about the other other one here i Dero uh, could go anywhere in the league on uh, the salary that he's on uh, now would be renegotiated. So that's um, that's a possibility. Uh, does someone take a flyer on him again? I don't know. I think it would have to be something that, somewhere where he had a connection. Uh, San Jose, yeah, Houston. Can, yeah, because he's played under Kinnear in San Jose, and he's played in San Jose. So there might be a bit of a connection there. Of course, he would take up an international slot, yep. um, as we all know all too well. And um, that's a topic we'll maybe touch on in our last segment when we talk about the CBA. You can't see me right now, but my fist is shaking. I like clouds. Yeah, uh, Houston, but Houston has the new change. I don't know his own coil. Yeah. I bring, no, he did talk about wanting to make this the field a little wider in some of the interviews I've heard with him uh, since he was hired. We haven't talked about that higher either. That's, I think, going to be a complete comedy fest, but we'll see. Um, look, D-Row's most likely chance, Kevin, to me, is that he goes through this reentry process, doesn't get selected. That means that he's then a wide-open free agent, and yeah. any team can talk to him, and that would include TFC again. And I think that that's pretty much his best bet. There is a freeze on TFC talking to him until after he goes through the reentry process, unless he, he pulls out himself. Uh-huh. Um, He hasn't done that, so I I suspect that uh, that is his only chance to come back next year if it's not, if it's in MLS anyway.
1: Yeah, um, but I still... Is NASL and USL Pro still uh, a destination possible for him? More than being picked today, or on the entry draft I mean? There's no chance he'll be in USL Pro.
0: Like, Uh, NASL, I could see Ottawa or Edmonton throwing him some money, um as a Canadian icon, so to speak, to go back to sell a few tickets there. I, I could see that as a possibility. I don't think it's necessarily uh the worst destination for him in some ways if he still wants to play. I don't hold it against him that he still wants to play. Some people do. No, no, of course not. Like it's it's what he knows how to do. I mean some people go out like Landon, where they want to like leave early. Uh, you know, on a, a much higher level, Wayne Gretzky sorta of left on his own terms when he still probably could have played a couple more years. But some just play until they have to get the foot in the back of the bum and push out the door. Um, D. Row from all accounts, has an agreement with, with Toronto FC, with MLSC, to work in the organization. Uh, the D. Rowe Foundation is some, some work. He's in uh, Tobago right now. Right now, He's in the Caribbean uh, at the moment if you, if you follow him on social media. So he's doing a lot of charitable work in the city. So I, he certainly um, – that also lends that belief that you know maybe a San Jose might be interested. But I don't think he's interested to leave the city. I think he wants to play one more season here. Uh, wants to play it on on his terms that work for him because he does have you know a certain level of um, confidence. We'll call it that mm. requires him to be on a certain level. So so we'll see. But uh, chances are that he has seen his last game. I, I would now put the the chance that Dero announces a retirement. Uh, you know, sort of a press conference TFC holds at the ACC. Uh, you know, in early January. I think that that might happen. All right, Kevin, uh, let's... Like a Thierry. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. i really retired today, actually, too. We, we, yeah. we didn't mention that because it's not really MLS news. Well,
1: he made it not an MLS news by saying that he's not going to return first and then retiring. And I think he did it on purpose. So he retires without being associated with MLS and retires as an Arsenal or Barcelona players.
0: Yeah, the other option of that is that that he just looked for another job and couldn't find it. Um, But at any rate, Henri is done. Uh, Let's all give him a good hand. Too soon?
1: Too
0: too, too, too soon? Okay. All right. Uh, Kevin, anyone else jump out at you in that
1: re-entry list? Only two, and even the two that I chose are Gamble. All the players on that list are a Gamble, but at least you can get that Gamble at a cheaper price on that day. Two players that did not pan out, in the life, especially Edson Buttle, but I would still take him because he's a target man, and in MLS, when your target man gets hot, it can wreak some, can do some damage, wreak havoc. Uh, so Edson Buttle and Omar Cummings. Not a lot of players like Omar Cummings. If there's a chance you can get him in your club, get him, and you won't regret it. He's a deaf player, but in the playoff, he can really be useful.
0: Yeah, certainly uh, Connor Casey and him used to be a great team back in Colorado days. I uh, mm-hmm. saw that in the 2010 MLS Cup here in Toronto. Uh we could play off each other quite well. I, I don't know with a player like that whether he still has the ability to you – know, maybe he's lost a step type thing, but at the same time, you're right. Those are interesting names. Uh, had uh, TFC not selected Robbie Finley in the <laughs> in the first round of the draft, I think there is a very good chance that he might have gone quickly in the second round. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, quickly, my, my list of interesting second-phase names um, – this is a, a couple. I'm going to throw a couple names out, out there. The first one is more of a type than an individual player, but I have Nathan Sturgis written down here. Nathan mm-hmm. Sturgis again, he's a guy that Toronto fans will be familiar with because as a, as with half the league, he's played here for a while. Um, he's he's a journeyman and he's a a utility player to use a baseball term. He's kind of a utility midfielder, mm-hmm. and those type of players are useful. And I think that those are the type of players that often are going to get a flyer. Like I mean, it doesn't matter if you make 70 grand in. One team or another, right? Like he's yeah. just sort of going to play a role and uh, play around. Well, that said, maybe the reason Nathan Sturgis is um, is now finding himself struggling to find work is because his age has gone up there, and they can find uh, a young Nathan Sturgis that could do the same role. And in three years, he'll cycle out, and a new one will come in. Um, the other thing with Nathan Sturgis is, he's played with half the league, so uh, it'd be interesting if he goes to a different team. A couple former TFC players I'll throw it on this list. Uh, Marvell Wynn is still on the list. It's the second time that he's been re-entry eligible. He did renegotiate his contract with Colorado prior to the last time he was on the re-entry draft. He has not yet done so. Uh, there still is a little bit of time that he can pull himself out, but uh, certainly... He's a player that might attract some interest at a lower number. Shelby uh, Joseph is on there. He's in a similar yeah. situation as D-Row. I think he's probably going to be forced out. A guy like Fred, uh, Philly, seems yeah. to be sick of him again. He's on there. Um, and the last player that I spoke up real quickly earlier is Nana. And I only bring him up because of his Canadian connections. And uh, we all just cross our fingers that Nana Atacora can find work. And uh, like we talked about with D-Row, uh, maybe, uh, maybe the NASL is a good option there. Actually, you know, what, TFC, there is there is some logic to one of the three canadian teams picking up that young kid and and with the usl pro teams out there they would have a place to put him i mean he's not really a kid anymore but he's still fairly young uh so that's hope nana lands on his feet and uh i hope he lands on his feet north of the border um kevin phase 1 uh both montreal and toronto made a selection let's start
1: with the impact uh um, we have to the worst pick i've seen in, in the, the, yeah the worst pick i've seen in a long time but the more I got to talk about it on Twitter, the more I got to get people's reaction. And my my mind changed a little bit. I thought well we'll get a player with a huge salary, but apparently he renegotiated that salary and it's not that it's not that four hundred K hit, it's a, a lot lower. So there's that. There's the fact that if he's not the one guy you're counting on, if his support role, maybe Nigel Real Coker can be uh useful. So we'll see. He had some good days. He had a lot of bad days recently. Hopefully good days are ahead. You're mixing your drafts up again, Kevin. <laughs> oh really?
0: Yeah, yeah. Eric Kronberg was picked in oh. Montreal. The Did goalkeeper,
1: he, uh, Eric Kronberg. Yeah. Well he the reason Montreal picked him is to get Maxim Kripo playing in the USL as uh, the starter in the, for the FC Montreal, in my opinion. Then Kronberg will be the backup
0: okay, yeah, he's on 120, was the starter in Kansas City last year, uh, played this his eighth year there. Now, uh, I mean, uh, I, I think that he'll probably be the starter in Montreal.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. Evan Bush really, they really have hired Bush High in their mind. And Evan Bush is the one that was slighted to be the next one for a long time. And I think he's at least going to get a chance before Cronenberg gets a full-time job.
0: Okay, well, we'll... We shall see, but Kronberg was the selection in the reentry draft, yes. uh, the, uh, Andy Grumbaugh, uh, Grumbaugh, uh was uh, also picked. Uh, Grumbaugh, pardon me. yeah, mom. by uh, San Jose, uh, an eighty-five k. Both of these keepers You're replacing
1: John Bush in San Jose.
0: Yeah, the average starting wage of a, a starting keeper in MLS is one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. So that's kind of both of these guys are, are below uh, starters' wage. So. That's kind of, I think, low-risk picks. But what isn't really a low-risk pick was, and what I think most people are interested in hearing us talk about, is Robbie Findlay,
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: World Cup player for the U.S., uh, a guy that was a key component of uh, Real Salt Lake's 2009 championship team, a guy that's been around MLS for a long time, has fallen off the radar with injuries and what have you, uh, failed to, to catch on in the championship with Forrest. Uh, back in in Salt Lake, his second stint there was not nearly as good as his first. He's on a guaranteed salary last year of $245,000 uh, a year. Well, two hundred and forty five five a year. So that's a big, big cap hit uh, for a guy that scored one goal last year. So that's a lot of the criticism is going to center around um, that, Kevin.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um. Look –
0: what TFC did is that they have they've selected a guy that is a bit of a a rebuilding project, I think, and uh, I think that it does it says a couple things. First off, I, I thought to, I'm going to give you some numbers here. Uh, Findley has played 200 sorry 146 career MLS games. He has 38 goals. So we're looking at a mid-level strike range with that. Uh, that's not terrible numbers for MLS. A One no. and three is, is is not the worst. It's not starting like st- number one striker numbers. It's not world-class numbers by any means. Uh, but I'll get
1: you more than in the mid-table in, uh, in yeah, the
0: MLS, right? His his strike rate prior to coming back to Salt Lake was more of a one and two. Okay, uh, that was when he was you know more prominent player and on the U.S. national team thing. Uh, essentially, what they've done is they signed Chad Barrett again. You know, it's the same numbers as Chad Barrett. Chad Barrett's uh, numbers, which he has fifty-one goals in MLS and two hundred and thirty-seven appearances, so they're very similar. Um, and I think that uh, that's really what, if TFC if, if can get Chad Barrett out of of Robbie Finley, then they've really done well with this. It's a little overpaid based on the salary cap as it stands today. Again, another topic for the funnel. A segment And part of the thinking probably was that that salary cap is going to go up. Uh, but if they get him at one goal next year and even if he's on, even if it's a $10 million salary cap, it's it's kind of a wasted. Well, it's not a wasted pick because it doesn't really cost you anything, but it's kind of a, a wasted money. Um, so it is certainly a risk. But I would argue that Toronto is at the point where it kind of needs to make risks. Uh, it, it's, it needs to find these players that are out there. And um, Well,
1: you always speak about finding value. And maybe if he's having a good year, he can beat that value. But he needs yeah. to build a little bit more better numbers. But if he does, he might be that value that the team need to achieve to overachieve, right? Because that, that's the goal. If you achieve a little higher than you're supposed to, you'll go far in the playoff. And you need to find value for that.
0: Yeah, certainly you need more than the one goal. Um. Uh, there, there is no guarantee on this. Uh, the one thing I think it does, and then we're going to move on real quick and talk about the the leg away stuff. I think what it does is it illustrates a philosophy that uh, that Vanny and Bespachenko are going to do. If you look at TFC, they've been active in all of these internal mechanism drafts, waiver, well, except for the waiver draft, But there wasn't much there. They've been yeah. they've been active in these things, right? They they selected a Chivas player. They they've been in phase one of the re-entry draft. I anticipate that they will pick a player up in phase two, whether it's. Ferrari or not I don't know let's hope it's not but at any rate I anticipate they'll be active in that it suggests to me that this is a group um, a mindset that is very focused on building from within the league rather than looking at big home run shots outside the league which are much sexier and sort of what Lewicki wanted to do certainly what past management at TFC wanted to do but these guys I think very much are focused on bringing in uh, guys that have MLX experience that are from MLS through trade through draft. If, they, if you want to talk about the NCAA, I suspect that they're going to keep all three of those picks. I know a lot of people are are suggesting they're going to try and bundle them. Even myself have suggested as bundle yeah. them to get higher. But I think that they value the three more than having one high one.
1: I um, think that just following the blueprint that they United did the last season, trying to get all you can in the half season to – Maybe out of the players that you brought in, you have a solution. The, the more you take, the more chances of having a solution is there, right? Uh, the, uh, theoretically.
0: Yeah, and look, uh, anyone who has listened to me over the years knows that I favor this approach to building an MLS team. I, I think it's the right way to go. I think discovery claims are too much of a gamble. Uh, that You need to get a couple good international players, and there's no doubt about that. But to try and build your whole backbone of your team with discovery players is, is rarely works. The best MLS teams thus far have had a clear spine that is very MLS trained focused. That means American more often than not. Um, with TFC, I think you're going to see, have to see some domestic presence from their homegrown step up as well, but that's another area that they focused on. Um, this is, I think that this is what that pick illustrates. He's a guy that is a former U.S. national. Yes, he's has to revitalize his career. I don't think they would even deny that. But it's a known commodity, and they would rather go with a guy that has league experience that's struggled than to bring a guy in that's maybe done well in another league without MLS experience. I think that this is what we're seeing this offseason is that kind of philosophy in action. Um, A lot of TFC fans are going to be highly critical of these moves until they see them in action because they're not going to value these players because they're MLS players, and that is – a fault of many things. That's a fault of the fact that we're going to talk in the second segment. We don't see these guys in MLS on mm-hmm. Canadian TV very often, so we don't value them. Um, they're Americans, so we have a kind of ingrained bias there sometimes. I think it's fair to say, and it, I think that that's what's going to happen. Is that? Am I saying by saying this, am I suggesting that they've got it 100 percent right in terms of the players they've got in? No, clearly I'm not. But what I am saying is this idea of bringing of bringing in internal strength, internal building is how MLS teams have built in the past. It's, as you just said, what DC United did last year. They entirely focused almost entirely internal and it worked for them.
1: It did? Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, Garth Lagerway is not coming to Toronto,
1: Kevin. (laughs) I thought so, too.
0: Um, Look, I always thought that the idea that they were chasing him was a little overplayed. Uh, If they were going to do that, they would have had to fire Bezbachenko. And firing Bespachenko after one year, no matter how much, some of you listeners might hate him and shake your fist at the cloud because you didn't like how he handled the Nelson firing, is absurd. It is absolutely 100% insane, and it speaks to every mistake TFC has ever made. They panic with personnel after one year, after way too short of a time. Is Bezbachenko going to be the miracle worker that brings glory to TFC? I don't know, and neither do you.
1: And when you look at teams that have glory with personnel, it's never after a season. It's after three, four, five season at the helm of a team. So eventually, if you want to get there, you need to give one guy some time. Is Bezbachenko that guy? Well, he's not worse than a couple of priors, right?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't like how he handled the Nelson firing either. I thought that he had a temper tantrum, and, and I think that it was it reflected poorly upon his judgment at that time. But he's a young executive, and if you fire him after every single time you get frustrated with someone, you end up with TFC if you follow. That's exactly what they've done every step of the way. So people calling for him to be fired again, I just don't get it, guys. I don't get where you're coming from. I don't understand how you think that Garth Ledgerway is wearing capes and is going to fly in and save everything. He simply wasn't. We don't even know whether he's all that good yet because we haven't really had a time to separate whether Christ was the brains behind that. We're going to find out. Um, Essentially what I've heard from Seattle people is that that, uh, their current GM wanted to step away from the player personnel decision side and focus on the business side of things. They wanted to bring a player guy in. That's what I've heard. There, they'll probably throw a boatload of money at them in Seattle. That's fine, whatever. Um, but I just don't think that there's any miracle worker on a GM side in, in this league. There's just guys that are competent and can get things done because it's a very even keel league. And what you don't want to do is is go outside the box, which is what TFC's been doing for friggin' years. And sure. here we are. Anyway, all right. Um, I thought we touched on that because it was newsworthy when we talked about it before. Let's take a quick break, Kevin, and talk about TV.
1: You mind if we hear some tunes?
0: Hey, that'll work. Got
1: any Christmas music? This is Christmas music. It December twenty fourth when I was the dark when I seen a man chilling with his dog at the park. I approached a very slowly with my heart full of fear. Looked at his
0: dog. Oh my God, a El Rey here. And just want to take this opportunity to wish all of our listeners a very happy holiday season from the Two Solitudes and the Five Rings podcast from both myself. And Kevin, we wish you all the best. Yeah, we're back. Uh, Kevin, I thought we'd have a little TV segment for a couple of reasons here. I saw some of the numbers the other day. TV is not something we typically talk about, but uh, certainly it does interest people. It's it's obviously been an area that has been of a concern uh, to, to Major League Soccer over the years. Uh, the Canadian numbers, in context, are often better than the American numbers by share. Um, I'm not sure they were this year because the the American MLS Cup final got... Got a bit of a bump. I think it was a Landon bump.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, Landon LA and LA involved, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, in Canada, there's um, It's hard to find TV ratings in Canada because there's they don't they're not they're public they're not public domain they're considered uh, proprietary, right? Yeah. So you have to have a source that gives you the numbers, sort of under the table type thing. And there's a couple journalists that still do it, uh, although most of the newspapers have dropped this thing. So um, based on the Yahoo. Numbers, which is where I get most of my TV numbers. The MLS Cup final did not rank in the top twenty-five of uh, Canadian t- t- sports programming over the weekend that it was played.
1: But I would be surprised to see how many numbers MLS Live did on that thing because it was available on MLS Live in Canada. The final, so I would be, sur- I would be surprised to include those type of numbers too. With the uh, on phones, because in Canada you can watch it on Rogers, Bell TV, especially a lot of MLS on game on your phone too. So, uh, I would be surprised to add up all those numbers, but yeah, you're, you're right, it probably didn't get a lot of numbers, but it was buried between NHL and other content, and in Canada this year, uh, there's a big battle in NHL, right, between TSN and Sportsnet. The years prior, it wasn't the case, and MLS was used as one of those rights that one of those both had, and they wanted to show off and do better production with it, and this year wasn't the case at all.
0: Yeah, it was... It was a stop and start through the playoffs. There was a few more games the last couple of years on TSN than there were in past years. But uh, I think that the conference finals not being on uh, that Canadian happen. television uh, and the, the reason they, uh, the L.A. conference final game wasn't shown on – well, okay. The, you could watch the D.C. New York game um, – or sorry, the New England-New York game on NBC – which we get in many parts of Canada, but it yeah. wasn't on Canadian television. And TSN yeah. didn't show anything that weekend because on the Saturday of the conference finals, they had the Vanier Cup, which is the Canadian University Football Championships. Yeah. Uh, University of Montreal, Kevin mm. sold down there. Uh, they, they beat uh, McMaster Hamilton, which is a rival of my Wilford Lawyer University, so whatever, go <laughs> go Caravan. Um, at any rate, so that was a Saturday, so they had that rights. And, and it draws a pretty big number for those that, uh, yeah. by Canadian standards. 300,000, 400,000 watch that game. So that's, that's a pretty decent number for Canada. Um, so they weren't going to bump it out for that. And uh, then Sunday was the Grey Cup, which is one of the biggest numbers in Canada every year. I mean, the CFL may be struggling in certain areas and see so on some people's minds. It certainly isn't a lot in the profile or in the minds of people here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But it's still a massive Canadian cultural thing.
1: Yeah. Outside of, outside of big cities, it's huge.
0: Yeah. You're not going to bump the Grey Cup for the LA Galaxy in Canada. You're simply not. It's just bad luck that way. Uh, the MLS Cup final, as I said, it, it it didn't, there wasn't anything specific like that on. Uh, TSN had a, a bomb spiel, a curling bomb spiel on a lot that weekend. Anyone who watched the broadcast here knows that uh, that the pregame was preempted a little bit by the end of the curling. Uh, Rachel Holman, I think, uh, lost that to uh, Eve uh, Muirhead, I think, was what the game was, <laughs> uh, if memory serves. There's um, <laughs> a curling reference for you. And uh, The number was under 89,000. There is no report of of, uh, mobile numbers. Um, Yeah, I watch a lot of my stuff on my TSN Go app uh, on my iPad. So, yeah, certainly that would take a lot of that number up. I think a lot of basketball and soccer is underreported for that stuff. But I don't know.
1: Especially MLS because of MLS Live. And for some reason, the type of crowd that it attracts are a little bit more tech savvy and do watch a lot of their stuff on other platforms, you could say.
0: Yeah, well, I was having a conversation with the Raptors last night. I watched pretty much every Raptors game on my iPad because um, it's HD quality pitcher and I can walk around the house with it, right? Yep. So it's it's just a more logical thing for me to do and I don't think it, it reflects – especially with the Raptors. I think that there's a lot of that going on. Uh, and soccer too because soccer we're used to streaming too because we have to. We,
1: um, yeah, we had to before, especially a couple
0: of years ago, yeah. Yeah, so it's just something we're used to. But that said, it's not going to make the difference to make it a major player. It might bump it into the top 25. Uh, I'll give you a little comparison numbers. Uh, it was obviously under 89,000, so that's to say it was 80,000. The top uh, Premier League game that weekend, the top soccer game in Canada, was, was in the top 25. Um, it was the Arsenal game, I believe, and it was 110,000. So that's kind of the number you're dealing with. Now that's in the morning. So, yeah. so you can't really look at the Premier League numbers and not remember that it's 4 in the morning in BC. Um, I haven't seen the RDS number co- numbers, Kevin, of view.
1: No, not either. Uh, but for for the MLS Cup, I would not be surprised if it's under fifty thousand, if not lower than that.
0: Yeah, It was RDS two as well. Yes,
1: exactly, because it was on RDS two. But because of of the whole circumstances of not being able to hype it with the some of the covers, there was one conference championship shown on RDS, which was the uh, the Galaxy because of. It was later in the night. There was no other conflicting schedule. But again, because of the timing of the Sunday in the Great Cup, it was on RDS too. And it did not have the full marketing team or the full push behind it because of the Great Cup in that weekend. And the Vanier Cup because it was a Montreal team. So, because of that weekend, even though RDS has two channels and a half, because they still have a news channel that they can broadcast live events if it need be. But no, uh, they did not use their in my opinion they just showed it because they had to but all their focus was on other programming which was a Grey cup and the Vanier cup
0: mm. i think most people are logical enough to understand that the Grey cup is is sort of an outlier in the sense that, that it's just terrible luck that it, it fell on that weekend yeah it
1: never it, it didn't happen for a couple of years before that well not until canada had a couple of teams so we were more interested in mls so hopefully it doesn't happen again
0: yeah um quick word on the on TSN and the five channels. I, I think that there's something that people don't understand. This is TSN's fault that they don't understand it, by the way, but they don't understand well, it.
1: Well, they brand it independently because of the one through five. It's not like Sportsnet where you know Sportsnet, even if it's East, West, Ontario, the program is very similar.
0: Yes, and what Kevin's referring to is the fact that TSN five channels, they have two channels, four regional feeds on the one channel. So TSN has an Ontario and, and it's just like Sportsnet has an Atlantic, an Ontario, um, Prairie, and a BC feed, and they need to those just like on Sportsnet. If they have a major event that is of interest to all of their regions, they will play it on all of those channels because that's if you don't have digital cable, which I know seems you know either you don't have cable or you have digital cable in most people's minds, but there are people out there that still just have basic cable. You only get one TSN. You don't even get TSN two, which is the independent channel that they do have. Yeah. Uh, that's why you see a lot of a lot of Raptors games are on TSN two <laughs> because a lot of Raptors games are on TSN two because they they uh, don't conflict with whatever the major hockey or whatever they're showing that night on. Yeah. Uh, when when TSN was showing the MLS regional games, uh, they would be in, like they would be on TSN four, which is the Ontario feed uh, at least on Bell, and uh, you know they wouldn't be showing they wouldn't be showing TFC to Moose Jaw they'd be showing whatever probably fishing shows or something i don't know <laughs> um hi jeff hi guys <laughs> at any rate uh, i lived in saskatchewan as everyone knows uh, well it's so, a question of where haven't you lived i've lived in five provinces so it's it's hard to find ones that i haven't been in it's about half <laughs> exactly it's exactly half um all right uh Quick note on the regional numbers, not all is Bloom. Uh, TFC, TFC is the only Canadian teams I could find. The numbers for, were for TFC. Uh, TFC did have a 25% increase in its, uh, its numbers this year on its regional games on TSN. So uh, 125,000 average there. It was about 50,000 average on its Sportsnet games. These numbers don't sound very good. Um, uh,
1: but in context, they're amazing compared to the numbers that the United States pulled out for their local market teams.
0: Yeah, you got to put everything in context. And look, there's a fairness to. I think it's it's valuable to me that that MLS fans and Canadian soccer fans look at these numbers and absorb what they mean. Uh, We haven't, you know, this sport is not in the top four yet. It isn't. Uh, Not even close. It's the it's the king of the niche. I've always said that that soccer is the biggest niche sport in North America. Uh, It is. Not hard, and, and it is growing every day. And it is no longer hard to find like-minded people like it was ten years ago. I remember the '90s, folks. I know how hard it was to find TV soccer on TV. It's not like that anymore. So we're winning the battle, but we haven't won the war yet.
1: You had to put classified ads to find like-minded people back then, Dwayne.
0: Like well, or you'd have to you go on on Usenet, and you would find a an expat bar that was located in the suburbs that you would have to take three buses to, and you know knock. And give them give them a password to get in type thing, and twenty bucks at the door. That's how it used to work, right? Yep. At any rate, uh, those days are thankfully gone. I can watch every. I watched Everton play on my couch yesterday afternoon because I wasn't feeling well. So that's something that wasn't there. Hey,
1: and I went to Toronto to go to an official Manchester City bar. So
0: yes, it's a different time, but we're still only drawing one hundred and twenty five thousand people to watch the local team play, and uh, there's lots of room for growth. At any rate, Kevin, let's do uh, a quick mention on uh, the Ottawa Fury have mm-hmm. uh, put a team. There their two teams, I should say, the reserve team and their, uh, academy. Their, their academy team and their academy junior team are going to play in the PLSQ uh, next year. Great news. Uh, I hope DMPAC would do the same. Uh, yeah, and that is what I said. That was my reaction to the news is we're looking at you, Montreal. Uh, Montreal currently plays in the U.S. Uh, Premier Development League. Uh, I don't think it's an assist, not the premier. that's PDL uh, they play in the, US, in
1: the USSF development uh, system yeah, they yeah.
0: play in the, the, the academy See, like I'm forgetting the acronym right now guys but they play with American teams it's um, a lot of letters yeah they, it's USSDA I think yeah uh yeah, they just. I think that for these regional leagues like League One Ontario, uh, which we all know TFC Academy played in and were the champions of this year, and for the PLSQ, uh, we need to have the professional teams involved uh, for them to grow. So good on the Fury to get into that, and good on the Fury to support it. Uh, the only you know controversy, I guess, is that they chose to go with the Quebec League. Makes a lot of sense. For well, it's the closer, West. right? Just yeah, for dude.
1: just for a travel reason.
0: You're looking at what, what's an hour and a half on a clear day to drive to from Gatineau to Montreal.
1: Yeah, but just the fact that FC Gatineau is a team in the PLSQ just across the the river, there's an there's an automatic rival. So there's going to be a rivalry in the PLSQ with those two teams too. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It, it, whereas it would be four hours to Toronto, so which is yeah. where most of the teams are. So it just makes a lot of sense. Until there's until there are teams in the Ottawa against them in Kingston, so that would be their closest team in the uh, thing. And I'm sure that they True. may may reach out and play Kingston in a friendly or something. But um, I think that uh having talking to I've talked to Dino Rossi about the Ottawa Valley and about uh League One's Dino Rossi's president of League One for those who don't know, um, about the potential of expanding that and he's certainly on their on their radar, but it's to them it's about standards and making sure that there's quality in the teams that are in the league rather than the worrying about the geography makeup of the league just yet. So yes, it is a primarily GTA League, but the, they are happy with the nine teams that are involved and expect to announce more in the new year, and we'll cover that when it happens. But in the meantime, we, uh, we congratulate the Fury on joining the PLSQ. We congratulate the PSLQ on, on getting a professional academy involved, and we wish them all well. Kevin, let's take a break. All the
1: money in the cash register, Mr. Duncan is going to donate to the children's hospital. At midnight tonight, we're hitting
0: Duncan's toy chest. We can mess with a lot of things. Can't mess with kids on Christmas. And welcome back to our final segment. Rambled a bit today, so we're going to be tight on this last one. This is just kind of an overview setup uh, that I wanted to do on the CBA. We'll be talking a lot more about it in mm-hmm. the days ahead, especially uh, when we hit January. Yep. Um, Kevin, there are, in my mind, three big areas that are going to be contentious for the players in the CBA negotiation. And we'll go through them real quick now. Uh, so that the listener knows what they're going to be watching for. The first one will be the cap, and that's the obvious one, um, although it's a salary budget if I want to be pedantic about the language. It's, it's it's not a cap per se. It's an overall salary budget, which is important because it's talking about how much they're spending on players total rather than because the league is spending it.
1: Anyway. Because yeah, it, um, it's the league itself who's giving the money to all the teams. Yeah, yeah. so the the salary
0: budget and, and what it's going to be and how that reflects the individual team spending um, is – is going to be a major talking point. I don't think it's going to be the biggest one. I don't think it is necessarily as big a deal on the player side as people would think. Obviously, anyone who's ever been involved in a CBA negotiation, and I have I um, in a previous job, uh, understands that you want more money. But you also understand that if you've been involved in those things, that a lot of the quality stuff around the money is, is as important. And I think that in the, uh, the, the case here the other two options, things that I'm going to talk about in a second, and options that just slipped up there, that's a slip, are going to be more important to them. However, um, I think that on the money side of things, Kevin, that both the players and the owners do have an interest in, in any raise of some sort. It just depends on how much uh, they, they might be willing to, to go
1: forward on that. True. Um, you're right, but the players in the private previous CBA never really had a, a, a... Not a chance, but never had the stronghold or never had a, a big argument in their favor. And it seems like even this time around, the league itself is showing some numbers with, uh, oh, we're losing 100 million a million or blah, blah, blah. And we all know that those numbers have been worked on. And it's because of some and all. It's so complicated. But going to the salary cap, uh, if I was a player... I would argue that the team can increase the salary cap more they have the funds available to have a little higher salary cap so the players as a whole get more money.
0: Yeah, no absolutely and I think the players aren't going to be satisfied with a simple 5% raise in the cap. It was 3.1 mm-hmm. it was 3.1 million this year maybe like about 3.22 2. because
1: what, what's the what's the average salary Dwayne? Is a couple of years ago it was around 40,000 30,000 the average salary of the league itself yeah, most I don't, I don't haven't looked at those numbers
0: per se recently, but I I you know they're closer to a middle class now. Although yeah, maybe fifty sixty thousand living as a single guy in the city of Toronto is going to be difficult. Yeah, uh, it might be a little easier in Montreal, but it's still still going to be a struggle. They're probably living on the, on the outskirts. They're probably having to you know skimp on certain things. They're not driving fancy cars, folks. They're driving Pintos. Um, <laughs> can anyone buy Pinto? Sure. sure. I don't even know. Right. Uh, I anticipate, from what I've talked to, that the cap's going to. We have a couple things we'll say on this. I I think that the cap at the end is not going to go up to ten million or something like that. That a lot of people it's it's, it might go up to five though. Um, The other thing I've heard is that they might have, and I'm going to use terminology here that isn't exactly accurate, but for the sake of simplicity, it's easy for people to understand. Um, They may go with some kind of hard and soft cap idea, whereas wealthier teams, teams that want to spend a little bit more on their budget, uh, can can put their own money in. They may allow something like that, similar to the DP rule. So you'd have, in addition to your three DPs, you'd have the ability to spend X amount more out of your own pocket on your other 24 players. In your So I would be surprised if the cap goes up a lot, but I, I can see something like that, Kevin. I think that the two areas that are more likely to be of more interest to the players are uh, free agency Mm-hmm. And uh, the club options, the yeah. club options especially are the area that they absolutely—that's their hill they'll die on. To use a phrase that was overused during this NHL lockout, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was in French media, but it was here. Um, They—that's the area they won't—they—they they want them out. The players will strike over that. I, I believe that that right now as it stands the club has all the power that's the uh the Camillo situation where they he basically balked at it and just left the club and was you know considered a pariah for that by by some people that are anti-labor i guess but for most people that, uh, that looked at the game on a global scale they couldn't understand like how the club could have the power and make him come back on a number um that's just the way the contracts are set up so Camillo was wrong in the sense that they were they were collectively bargained that way yeah and
1: he signed it so yeah
0: yeah but it's weird that they would be collectively bargained that way. And that is going to be something that the union is going to very much want to address. And it's really in MLS's best interest to eliminate those club options, uh, put more of the option back in the player's hand in some way. Um, that's cause it's closer to the global market. And if they want to attract better players, they have to have dissimilar, at least very similar
1: working conditions. True. but well, it's going to be interesting come January. Uh, not a lot of people, are, they're starting to talk about it, but not a lot of people have talked about that point. I don't think it's going to be a smooth negotiation. I think it's going to be either a lockout or a strike. And I think there's going to be a battle to, to so everybody gets their point across in that one.
0: Yeah, I anticipate that there may be, a, it'll likely be a lockout. Um, the owners have more power than the players. Because and the player, a lot more they have more money yeah uh, we 're talking about mortgages and you know not eating taco Bell for dinner we 're talking about some of these players right like they yeah. the minimum salary is forty four thousand right now so uh, that 's you know to go back on my ex- brief experience in the past of being involved in a cBA yeah I, I was vastly underpaid, and the ownership had a crap deal in place, but we ended up having to to take a deal far less than what we wanted because I simply couldn't afford to be on strike for two months and it's going to be the same thing or locked out for that matter and for those that don't know most people should but the lockout is when the owners initiate it and the strike is when the players initiate it for those that don't understand labor but that's simple and there is a difference in it because I essentially think what's going to happen is that the players are going to say we're going to keep working without a CBA we're going to show up to training camp and then they'll they'll just keep showing up and the owners will eventually will lock them up because what they want to do from a labor strategy perspective a labor negotiation strategy perspective is they want to control when the lockout happens if they give the players um four months of working with no cba then the players could strike at any time because they'd be in a strike position yep. and then they they've had a chance to save money uh they've had a chance to get their media message out there and they're more in the public um you uh, when they see if they interrupt a season so they own it's always in the owner's interest in any sports league to lock out in the preseason so that the players don't have those chances they're not getting paychecks in the offseason uh they can't save up they're at the their bank accounts are at their bottom barrel they have more power if they lock them out early so that's my anticipation is that the owner if there is no cba in place by the end of january when training camps are supposed to start the owners are going to say you can't show up until you sign a cba um the last point about this uh, is the free agency stuff, and I—it's highly unlikely that we're going to get free agency in MLS. It's just not in the interest—the interest of the owners mm-hmm. to allow it. It goes against everything single entity stands for.
1: Yeah, you will hype the price, and you will uh, whats the word? It's going to inflate a certain bubble for the players against each other because it's one entity, right?
0: Well it creates a bidding war for players and that's sure, something that's, that
1: that's that what I wanted to
0: say. Everyone in MLS in every state of their development has done measure after measure after measure to stop bidding wars. That's what blind entry drafts are. The re-entry draft is about. That's what um, everything is about. There are discovery claims. All of the rules are designed so that only one MLS team is ever dealing with the player by the time it comes to the time it comes in to negotiate a salary. Uh, so they can't play them off of each other. Um, that's not particularly how the world market works, and it's something that if Don Garber wants to meet his absurd 2022 best league in the world uh, promise, that he's going to have to address, but it's not going to happen in the CBA. But what might happen, Kevin, in my opinion, is you might see a loosening of the reentry draft uh, scenario, which was what they got out of the last CBA to allow a certain amount of quality. For those that don't remember, for those that are new to MLS, prior to the 2010 CBA, players that, like let's talk about D. for instance, D. would have no power at all under the old CBA. He could either sign for TFC at the rate they wanted to give him or not play. That was what he had prior to that. Now he can go through a re-entry draft and if there is someone interested in him, then he can negotiate with them. That's a far different scenario than what it was before when, when players, even if they'd played 10 years in the league, were just cut dry at the end. Um, so that is a win for the players and I can see them probably loosening the rules in which allow a player to go through the re-entry process. Uh, right now you have to meet a certain threshold in terms of experience. I suspect they may loosen that a little bit so that more players are available in the re-entry draft and less go through the waiver draft and less are just cut adrift as it currently stands. Um, Kevin, I mean, I, we touched on it and then we'll wrap it up here. Uh, you, you said you expect either a strike or a lockout?
1: I do because the the difference of in some lockouts in the NBA or in the NHL last couple of years it was billionaires against millionaires in MLS it's not the case it's millionaire it's, I, I was gonna say singular because it's the, the league itself so speaking about singular entity so it's it's like a billionaire against a bunch of normal people and oh like. It's it's a good idea to see, oh, the underdog is going to win again. And uh, I don't want to say the player have my support, but they do deserve better. And they do deserve to have a, a living wage that makes some sense. And the league is growing more and more. And the growth in the last four years is unparalleled in Major League Soccer. And that in itself makes the pie bigger. And everybody wants a piece of that pie. And that's why I expect something's going to happen in January.
0: Yeah, there's two things that con- – I agree for the most part. There's two things that complicate any evaluating an MLS lockout potential versus the traditional North American leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that the players uh, are in a global market. So if they are contracted – they would have the potential that if there was a prolonged lockout or strike that they may be able to have their contracts nulled and then they would just be free agents in the rest of the world and they wouldn't be limited to one league, whereas an NHL player – unless they want to step down a level, have to stay in the NHL. So the, they, they really are kind of on a, a different level there. That's true. Uh, the other place that makes this a little bit different from a league perspective is that uh, one of the powers that players have in the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball or the NFL um, would be to take their main revenue source away from the owners, that being the games they play. In MLS, they have Soccer United Marketing – which makes them money. So they're not necessarily going to lose all of their revenue sources even if games aren't taking place. In fact, some of them may argue that some of the teams may make more money if they're just looking at some rather than dealing with their team as well. So that makes things a different dynamic, uh, which makes it a more interesting thing. However, the league, I think, does understand that if it wants to grow, it needs to be relevant and visible and having a prolonged stoppage is going to really hurt it in terms of visibility. Would it kill it? no that's that's soccer hating morons that would suggest that it's not going to kill the league even if there is a lockout that knocks games away but it would be very disappointing to those and would take a lot of the momentum away and it's certainly they don't want to launch nycfc or orlando um, but especially nycfc into a lockout and that's
1: another reason why i expect the players to do something because of the two new team in the league and the timing would be bad and it would really look bad if uh A year where two new expansion teams starts a month later than it's supposed to. Yeah, we'll see.
0: It's going to be a battle. Uh, The last time it got solved just before preseason was supposed to start. So uh, it's going to go down to the last minute and if not, cancel a bit of the preseason. That's the other thing too. The players, especially the veteran players, they're not going to care if they miss a couple weeks of preseason. They think it's too long as it is. So (laughs) they'll be happy to be locked out for a couple weeks to work things out. And, and truth, miss two weeks of preseason either. I don't think most people would. I don't go to Florida typically to cover it, so I'm not going to miss it. All right, Kevin. Um, we're gonna. Do, we have a lot of five rings today for those that like the Olympics stuff. There's a lot of news there. We got a couple great interviews. We're gonna do some World Junior stuff. We're going to uh, talk to the No Boston Olympics folks on that too. So uh, we got to go for now. Uh, if anything major happens uh, in the reentry draft, we'll, we'll maybe come back and do a brief 20 minute show like we did last week. Otherwise, Kevin.
1: Give this to Kevin. 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 Here you go, Kevin. Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here.
0: Kevin's not here.
1: Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here.
0: Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here.
1: What? <laughs> Come on! Merry Christmas and a happy New Year to all the listeners of the Two Solitudes and the Five Rings podcast. And uh, have a great holidays.